Thank you. The music I was raised on, Southern Gospel. Singing like you really want to get to heaven. Sounded this morning like you were in a hurry to get there. It's good. And I've met some Christians, I wish they would fly away. No, no, no. <laughs> That's nasty, isn't it? Little boy was looking at the family Bible, and he turned to Genesis and the story of Adam and Eve. And right there in the page was a large red, old, crumply now, leaf. You know how they used to press leaves in Bibles, books? You ever see that? Any of you ever seen that? Or are you, That's not from some century past, is it? And they uh, loved to pressed leaves, and this little fellow looked at it, and uh, his mother said, what have you found? He said, I think I found Adam's suit. (laughs) Now you're saying, I wish he'd make like a tree and leave, right? All right. Oh, bad. Well, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6. I want to share something that I hope will be practical from my life experience, walk with the Lord, and failure. I would believe, young people, that if, if there's one thing in life that uh, I wish I'd done more, it's pray more. I'm being honest with you. I do pray. I have prayed. I've been to countless hundreds of prayer meetings. I've seen and heard people say some awful funny prayers. I've heard people pray powerfully. I've heard people pray effectively long and some very short effective prayers. I've been with men, women of God, in desperation, listen to them calling on God. But I don't think any of us would say we've prayed too much. But I want to teach you practically some things about prayer, because I think we get stereotyped and we get locked into certain attitudes that cripple us instead of helping us. Daniel chapter 6, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom, Daniel 6, won 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom, and over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts of unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find none occasion nor fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. 
All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains who consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save O thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. And I want to speak on the next two verses. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of found praying. Let's just bow in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, I thank thee for each one bowed in thy presence. Help thy servant to respect his audience. And dear God, we pray that from thy word we will leave something that someone in the meeting this morning might take to heart May we leave the word of God so that people will have something to think about and ponder. And then, Lord, help thy servant to walk off this platform, fully intending to live as he preaches. Father, we pray that for each of us this morning. And we ask that your Holy Spirit might minister to us in a very practical way. In Jesus' name, amen. Several years ago, I made my way, and I've mentioned this before, and the gentleman whose picture is on the wall over there, Mr. Ken Robbins, who was the first president of our school. Mr. Robbins was a man who was a man of faith, and one day I burst into that room up there after a board meeting, and I found the man of God praying. I have said to the seniors before about going into a meeting in which the staff was found on their knees praying. If you ask any students at the Brunswick Bible Institute when we had a farm and they had to get up early to go milk the cows, they would tell you coming down there was a light in the window of Mark Breeden, and he was found praying. One morning I was on a, going to the airport in Presque Isle, and I came by the little church there, and five o'clock in the morning, there was a man, and I saw his gray hair, his head over his desk, praying. I found him praying. I used to travel once a year up to Ontario, a certain place, and to be honest with you, the very first time it happened to me, I was very uncomfortable, because as we walked down toward the platform, there was 
two aisles. He went down one aisle, and I was coming down as a guest speaker down the other aisle. We would meet at the platform. When I went to get up the platform, I got up to the platform, as I usually do. I was sitting on this side, and I sat down. And I looked over, and was I ever humbled and embarrassed? He was on his knees, praying. I went back several times to that church. And what made me uncomfortable the first time, I realized that was a man's lifetime habit. Before his people praying. I appreciated him. I know one other brother like that. Now, I'm not suggesting in all that that we all of a sudden go into churches and rush up and start bowing before the people in the churches. The point I want to make to you is this. The Bible tells us that these men found Daniel praying. Now, let me assure you something about this. Two things. In my opinion... And all the men I described, they were humble men just carrying out a godly habit that they had acquired in their life called praying without ceasing. No matter what the time, what the place, what the problem, they were men who automatically, honestly called upon God like a baby immediately cries, Mommy, Daddy, when they're in trouble. Whether Mommy or Daddy can help them or not. It's the instinctive cry. Charles Spurgeon says that it's as instinctive for a Christian to pray as it is for a baby to cry. One morning I was, and I want to assure you of this, having said that, let me just disregard that. Secondly, while this was a godly habit in these people that they'd acquired over a lifetime, It also, I want to assure you that I certainly didn't want to act as a spiritual FBI agent checking up on somebody's prayer life, which would be pharisaical and hypocritical. I was not trying to intrude in people's prayer closets. However, like the Lord Jesus with his disciples, all of these men who are mentors in my life had a place where they regularly went to be with Jesus Christ. Now, he's with us all the time. We know that. But like it says in John 18, 2, when it says that Judas needing to bring the men and about to betray Jesus, it says, and Judas took them to the Garden of Gethsemane, the olive press where Jesus, that's what it means, and that's where Jesus went to pray. And it says, Judas knew the place because Jesus went there frequently. Jesus, they knew where to find him in the place of prayer. And having said that, it seems to me, young people, that you are going to have to battle in our age and continually a whole change in lifestyle. It seems to me that the lights stay on far too late And they come on too late in the morning. And I'm not being critical, believe me. I'm sharing from my heart. It's something that each one personally has to learn to deal with in your life. And there's things that take us. In fact, there's a corral, there's an opposite, and that's this, that if you want to be a success and serve God, many a time you're going to have to burn the midnight oil. 
but not for self-pleasure. Our electronic age has made it very, very easy to read the Bible at any time. A little more difficult when you lived in candlelight, but it also has created other problems and diversions that have made inroads into devotional life. Now, I say this when it says they found Daniel praying. I want to just give you some simple points about that, but I want you to understand the background. How do you, as a young man, of somewhere between 16 and 18 years of age, get uprooted from your country, take church as one of the leading figures in Babylon with the responsibility of working under the most powerful dictator that the world had ever seen, and the Bible says that it was probably the most powerful absolute dictator, Nebuchadnezzar. How do you function as a young man for 70 years working under Nebuchadnezzar and the people that followed him with the tremendous, think about the pressures that Daniel endured for 70 years and working under a man who when you disagreed with him, he couldn't have your head and would gladly have your head. Who was not above assassinating his chief people if they disagreed with him. Think of the pressure of the Babylonian Empire as Daniel carried the weight of administration of that empire under Nebuchadnezzar. On a daily basis, I can't believe it. I've been involved a little bit in the administration of an organization where we're, we're working with people who generally were sympathetic with one another, and generally there's nobody standing with a knife to knife in the back. But remember Daniel, right off the bat, King says, somebody tell me my dream. Tell me the interpretation. They come to Daniel, said, King wants us to interpret his dream. Daniel says he would do it. And they said, but he's asking something impossible. Not only wants us to interpret his dream, he wants us to tell him what he dreamed. That's the kind of man, temperament, personality they were dealing with. A man in love with himself, statute worship, Daniel, for 70 years worked under Nebuchadnezzar and his successors, and the final man was an alcoholic, Belteshazzar. And when the Neo-Persians come in to take the kingdom, the now 80-some years of age man, 86 to 88 years of age, they come in, and you read it in your Bible, when we read that portion, it says, we're looking for the man with the excellent spirit. And here's your job, Daniel. They're talking to an 88-year-old man. Your job is you're going to be over the three presidents who are over the 127 regionals. Whoa! How does a man handle that kind of pressure? And then they can't find anything wrong with him. So they have to find something against him with respect to his God. You see this even in the election this past week where a couple of men made this statement and people can argue about whether they were right or wrong, but both men were trying to stand for life. And the news media, you think the worst thing in the world ever happened, and the worst people in the world, the people that destroyed the nation and destroyed the Republican Party, were people who made in defense of human life. A bad statement, I will agree that there's some 
seeking for power in this man. He has an excellent spirit. But what happens? How do you survive that? You survive it by the following principles. Look what it says. It says, when Daniel knew the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He had a place for prayer. With Jesus, it was Gethsemane. With Peter, it was on the rooftop with Simon the Tanner's house. With Daniel, he's before his window praying. There's an interesting story that about Jesus that illustrates the importance of finding the place of prayer. And it was when he called his disciples. And it says that the Lord Jesus had faced with the Pharisees. And he healed a man on the Sabbath day. And again, the Pharisaical hypocritical hearts cared nothing about somebody's life being restored. They just wanted to criticize Jesus and find occasion or fault in And so what happens is, the Bible calls it madness. There was the madness of the Pharisees. And then the Lord Jesus Christ comes down and he's thronged, he and his disciples, by the multitudes. There will be a multitude of people perhaps coming at you at different times in your life and you think you can't take any more and you just weep and you don't know what to do. Sometimes it will be just sheer madness. People are saying things to you and accusing you of things that not even true, not an ounce of truth in it, but it's enough to get into your psyche, it's enough to hurt you. They can't find occasions where they invent silly things. You know what Jesus did? Same thing Daniel did. It says Jesus found a mountain. He went up into the mountain to pray in the midst of madness and in the midst of the multitudes. He found a place to get alone. One of my favorite gospel singers is James Blackwood. His integrity... His concern for presenting the gospel professionally, but prayerfully. And he was telling one of the singers in his quartet about his mother's fellowship with the Lord and the impact she made on his life and how she sacrificed to get him started in gospel music. And Mr. Blackwood told the story, and then the man went to the back of the bus And he wrote a song called, There's a Place I Go to Be Alone with Jesus When the Burdens Seem Too Heavy to Bear. Let me say this about prayer. I know you can pray in your room. That's perfectly legitimate. I'll address that in a moment. I know that we don't have to be bound to any one place. But I want to suggest to you that just as Jesus found a place in Gethsemane where he loved to go and commune with his father, Just where Isaac would go in a field, the Bible says in Genesis, to meditate. Peter to the rooftop to pray. Powerful preacher said this two weeks after a very difficult time in his book entitled, Not Peace But a Sword. Two weeks with my Bible by a lake and a mountain brought me new dedication. I resolved to give more time, not just to rest and recreation or even study but to reflection and meditation in solitude. I made up my mind not to get so occupied with baggage that I failed to enjoy life's journey. My Lord rose before day to pray in a solitary place. He found both time and place for communion with God, and so must we. 
And as young people, I want to suggest to you, find a place, wherever you are, wherever you're going, where you can get away from everybody, just for a few moments. Because in quietness and confidence shall be your what? Strength. This is not an old man who's saying, listen, I can't keep up anymore, so I want to go, go away and be quiet. No. It has been a lifelong a lifelong. place of prayer. I'd like to talk about more about that, but I want you to notice the position of prayer. Look what it says. It says, these men assembled and found Daniel praying. But in verse 10, where we're looking, look, it says he went to his home and he prayed and he kneeled upon his what? Knees. Let me just mention, don't lock yourself into any one position. I would suggest to you that if you study the scriptures, you'll find that Daniel bowed with his knees. So I learned that as a young man, almost wanting to charge my dear brother who was bowing there with kind of playing Pharisee. He wasn't playing Pharisee. I, as a young man, needed to understand that with him what was natural should have been a whole lot more natural with me as a younger man. Praying naturally. Because we don't know people's hearts. Only God knows our hearts, don't we? We don't know why people do what they do. Nobody knows why you do what you do. But what's important is this. I would suggest find a position. Daniel Hill. That's not the only one. And reading David is walking and he's just been rejected. Absalom, his son, trying to take the kingdom. And David goes out and he's walking. 2 Samuel, look at this, 2 Samuel 15. Picture the man of God walking in rejection. Maybe some friend has turned on you. Maybe someone, maybe you've misunderstood them or maybe you have not. Maybe it's been very clear. But what could be closer to having your son trying to take the kingdom from you as this man of God David had. And in 2 Samuel 15, in a picture of another man who had one day make the same ascent, David says this, he went up by the ascent of Mount Olivet and wept as he went up. And he had his head covered and he went barefoot. And all the people that was with him covered every man his head and they went up weeping as they went. And one told David saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. Counselor. And he's with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. He didn't call a cabinet meeting. He didn't say we're going to take and have a meeting and reverse all this. You know what he did? He's walking. And what's he do? He calls upon God. Isn't it great to know? Boy, Mark, don't you wish you knew this when you were playing hockey? Lord, help me to meet that guy sitting as I walk around. Amen. But what the point simply is, no matter what we're engaged in, no matter what we're doing, no matter how difficult a thing we face, here's a man prayed as he walked. Daniel knelt as he prayed. Solomon knelt and spread forth his hands in the greatest worship service the world's ever seen. 
thousands of animals sacrificed as Solomon is about to extend the kingdom greater than his father David. And he's calling upon God and he recognizes that everybody that enters the geographical location of his land should at least be conscious of the fact that the one who ruled in Israel was God. And Solomon prayed for every possible situation as you listen. And he's praying if the person comes in and they don't know you, they're a stranger. And they repent, hear from heaven. Here's a passionate leader. He's on his knees, hands extended. Old Testament charismatic Solomon, I guess. Point simply is this. These men knew something about prayer. Abraham stood eyeball to eyeball with a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ, pleading for his nephew Lot in wickedness, not writing a position paper on homosexuality, praying that God would deliver his son and Lot, his, his nephew, out of that wicked place. He's walking. And time's flying. So let's look at this. I could talk to you about... No, I won't. Third thing. I want you to see this. It says that Daniel, on his knees, three times a day, three times a day. Was he a Muslim? Isn't it funny how we lock stuff in? I never pray three times a day. The Muslims do that. They'll do that on a form. No, Daniel did it. And there's reason. There's practicality here. And again, I'm not setting up a formula. That'd be the worst. That's the thing I do not want to do. I want you to see something here. It's a proper. When's the proper time to pray? When's the proper time to read the Word of God devotionally? There are obviously general principles set forth in the Word of God. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. And men ought to pray without ceasing. And I believe we're on safe ground when we suggest that men can pray about anything at any place at any time and expect to get a hearing from God, providing they pray in the will of God. So I'm not talking about time. And yet I am. There's some pretty convincing proof from Scripture and history that men use mightily were men who have a daily disciplined prayer life with respected time. Daniel prayed regularly three times a day. The psalmist had the same pattern, Psalm 55, 17. The psalmist also prayed seven times a day. The conclusion would be regularly at set times these men met God. That's the point. And I think morning, noon, and night are important for this reason. Let me just say this. In the morning, 
Uh, that's before the pressures of daily routine have taken over our heart and mind. I'm not recommending that to replace all other methods in your life. But what I am suggesting is that the morning before everything occupies our minds, meet with God so that the first voice that's directing you through the day is the voice of God in his word. It's a good principle. One, it took me a long time to learn because I grew up in the city and I stayed up late playing hockey till 2 o'clock in the morning because the only time we could get a rink and then rushing off quick, getting on the bus first, then hitting the streetcar, then the subway to go to work. Hemmed it better to start the day quietly for a few moments with who? God. Noon, because you're in the midst of the battle now. A quiet place, just find it. And as a, as a young man, that's how God directed me to Bible school. When at noon, I would just get away from the... Hartford Fire Insurance Company, downtown Toronto, go into a church to pray and, and seek God's face in his word. And God began to minister to my heart and created in my heart a desire to come and study God's word. Not very long, but just from the crowds getting alone. You don't have to go to a church to meet with God, but that was a place I found and did. Evening after the defeats and the victories of the day. Just take a few moments to assess. That will probably be in your room. may not be. Depends where you are and where you can go for a walk. But I would suggest the main principle, I would say, is early is better. It's a correct maxim. You learn from saving money that if you save money early, the compound interest works in your favor. You learn from travel that if you get up early and set out early on the journey, less chance you're going to be hurrying and doing something that could be to your detriment and everybody else with you. Those are certainly good maxims. They're not absolute principles for everybody, but they're good maxims. Rising up early was the practice of Abraham, man of faith. When advising angels about his plans, he rose. When examining the results, when the angels came to give him travel plans, Abraham was up early. With his son Isaac, he was up early. Last point. Let me just say this then. It says that Daniel kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. It's my conviction that in order to be practical, we need to focus on one thing at a time. And one thing that Daniel had learned early in his life was the importance of meeting with God. 
I've spent the entire time on the prayer aspect of devotional life this, this morning. I haven't talked about the word. Prayer must be balanced by a devotional reading of the word. But all that I've said about prayer can be said of the word of God. It needs to be a place, a period, and a habitual practice of devotional reading of the word of God. We must never divorce Bible reading and prayer. Graham Scroge said, The outstanding need of the church is twofold, a knowledge of God through his word and power in prayer. Robert Murray McShane, who died at 29, said this, It was my habit never to see the face of man until I had encountered the face of God. Leonard Ravenhill, in, our, in my age, in my, our time, said this, Every church without a prayer meeting condemns us. Every Bible daily unopened condemns us. Every promise of God unused condemns us. Every lost neighbor condemns us. Every lost heathen condemns us. Every dry eye among us condemns us. Every wasted minute of our time condemns us. Every unclaimed opportunity for God condemns us. But a prayerful life can be a powerful reversal. A prayerful life is a powerful life. And a prayerless life is a powerless life. We may turn from flabby Christianity and fruitless service to a life exercised unto godliness, and prayer is what makes fruit remain. It's the difference between two people.